Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled, exciting, and medical mystery episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. And Tom, as you alluded to, season four premiere. First off, we've been doing this for four seasons now, which is crazy to begin with. Secondly, yes, we are doing a another medical mystery episode. If, if I'm not mistaken, we were doing it on Rapunzel, right? Rapunzel is a very close name, sir, but I believe Shit. the- Shit. Really? Yes. I've watched it like nine times. Yes. I would say you're close, <laughs> but as the saying goes, no cigar. We are actually doing it on a gentleman you may need to look up now called Rasputin. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it happens. But anyway, while I'm Googling that- Do some quick Wikipedia search. Right? That's where I go for everything. How's your week been, man? It's been good. I share a lot of other information with the crowd, so I might as well. So, yeah, I'm getting referred to a cardiologist. That's not the funnest thing to experience in your life. but um, Better than a proctologist. Fair enough. So, yeah, it's not been a great week, but not because of anything else. Just stuff like that. You know, feeling like you have a ticking time bomb in your chest kind of puts a damper on some of the things <laughs> that you may experience. But uh, other than that, it's actually been good. I mean, I'm still breathing so far, so we got that. How's uh, how's it going down there? Not too bad. Of course, we're still seeing some COVID and then starting to see all the normal viral URI crap mixed in with it because, you know, kids are back in school, starting to see some hand, foot, and mouth. It's all, you know, lots of good stuff. Um, and I was actually having a good day. Ate dinner, watched the TV with my wife, coming here to get ready to record. Watched the ceiling fan <laughs> nine times. The ceiling fan was making a noise and I didn't want it to pick up. Wanted to help our audience out, you know, didn't want it to be anything in the background distracting. So I reached back to turn it off while I had my headset on, which then knocked my drink over, which then spilled onto my computer. So shout out to Dell because apparently it's still working, even though it just had pops filled all over it. But uh, we're going to roll with it like we can for now. Well, for at least the next six to seven minutes until that gets under the keyboard. <laughs> we'll, that was we'll like 20 minutes out, ago. We're good. Let's get things started and try and get this recorded before the Dell decides to become dead. It's not going to be dead. Anyway, so Tom, back to kind of what we were talking about briefly there. Season four, dude, what do you think? I mean, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? It Very crazy. Haven't been pulled off the air by the FCC. Still waiting for that uh, that memo. I don't know. It, it's... You know, every time we talk about how long we've been on the air, it still doesn't feel correct. Right. No, I would agree with that. Especially like when we had Christine on and we were like, that was 2018. I'm like, whoa, really? Yeah. Yeah, like, it just doesn't seem like it. No. And the Christine episode, I got lots of feedback 
that was very positive. Like they thought that was a very good episode. So hopefully we can all do something together again sometime, or maybe she'll start putting out some episodes of her own or who knows, but I do know it got a very good response and I'm glad people enjoyed it. So let's hope season four just carries that momentum forwards and we get some work done. Well, let's hope so. We'll do our social media shout out real quick and then we'll jump into our story and do all that other fun stuff to get into Rasputin while I'm frantically Googling in the background. Not really, but you know, it's worse. He had long blonde hair. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. If you say so. <laughs> you can find us Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast. Our website's www.justsomepodcast.com. Our email has changed. It is JSP at justsomepodcast.com. Email us. Let us know how things are going with you. Let us know if you're still, you know, were you were you a season one listener and now you're a season four listener or what? And also I want to give a huge shout out to Nurse Papa, that podcast, doing great stuff over there. Pollyanna, Buried Pleasures. Make sure you listen to both of those. Those are all under the Just Some Podcast umbrella as well. But Tom, if they want to help us out, what can they do? They can go do some Amazon shopping like they were going to do anyways, but before they go looking or they put anything in their basket, they can go to our website. They can scroll down just a little bit somewhere in there. They're going to find an Amazon affiliate link. Click on that, then go shop till their heart just explodes in joyness and buy all the things that they were going to buy anyways, but it helps out the show and we would really appreciate it. And lots of people do it already. So let's just keep that going, and we love to see it all. Don't worry about all those baby pools and, you know, economy-sized jars of personal lubricant and spatulas you guys are buying. That's strictly between us and you. That's right. Don't even know, we don't even know who it is. We just know somebody out there is having a great time. And we want to party with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. I need you to email <laughs> us at the correct JSP at justonpodcast.com since we don't uh, use admin anymore. Right, yeah, that's what the change of season four, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we decided to switch our entire email. That's right, just to confuse people. Exactly, that's what we like. <laughs> Tom, are you ready to jump into our story that you may have missed? Absolutely, sir. And it's probably not a story that you may probably missed, but we're going to roll with it anyway. Tom, did you know that SpaceX has launched another rocket recently? I do. And this is the first rocket in the history of American spaceflight that all four crew members are civilians. That is correct. Silver dollar for you. <laughs> do you know why we're talking about it, though? Because it's cool. Well, it is cool, but I'm going to run through the crew and the reason they're doing this, which I thought was a couple of cool things. We want to start off on a good note, season four. Which, by the way, do you know the name of the flight? No. Inspiration for. Well, there you go. I like that. See, season four, inspiration four. Time to sue Elon Musk for stealing our shit. So, Mission Galactic is back on. There you go. <laughs> hey, we might be able to make that happen. Between SpaceX, Blue Origin, and Virgin Galactica, which, by the way, they also stole our shit. Mission Galactica, Galactica. was around way before Virgin Galactica. <laughs> so, I could prove that. So, well, just saying. The crew for the mission, as you said, it's an all-civilian crew. Jared Isaacson, he's the mission benefactor, CEO of Shift for Payments. He's the commander of the mission. He's joined by Dr. Sion Proctor, who's a professor of geoscience, science communicator, and analog astronaut who piloted the spacecraft. 
Here's one of the reasons we're talking about this. Haley Akrono is a PA at St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. She's the mission's medic. And then the fourth crew member is Chris Zimbowski. He is an aeronautical engineer and retired USAF officer, and he's the mission specialist. So they said that together they represent the mission ideals of leadership, prosperity, hope, and generosity, respectively. And they're raising money with this mission. And all the money that they're raising is going to life-saving research conducted at St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Of course, that is a hospital that specializes in pediatric and cancer research. And that's also where crew member Akrono worked. She also received treatment for bone cancer as a child there. Now she works there as a PA. They said that they raised, just in the live stream alone, they raised over $300,000 in donations for St. Jude's, which I thought was pretty awesome. But the main reason we're talking about it is a PA was served as the mission medic, which I thought was just cool as hell. So you're saying I got a chance. I knew that's where you were going. So you're so saying you're, there's a chance. So you're saying I need to really bug the shit out of somebody. But I got to be honest. I think my greatest setback at this point is going to be. Um, how do I say this in a friendly way? I have a high gravitational mass. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And. Well, either one of us are going to have to calculate the payload. It costs a lot of money per pound or per kilo, I guess you would say, to put things into space. So where they got roughly 4,000 extra quarter pounders going up, they're looking for ways to cut that. All right. I'm just look, I know somebody's going to be mad. I'm saying this, but a fact's a fact. Okay. And you can get her to do the same job at literally probably a third of the uh, gravitational <laughs> mass. So that's a uh, that's a lot of cheeseburgers, my friend, that they just saved having to put up in the space. So, but shout out to her. You never that know. That was cool. We'll that is cool. Yeah. Hey, maybe we can get her on the show. That was kind of what I was thinking. Is maybe we should reach out uh, to her, see if she would come on the show, and celebrate that a PA was served as a mission medic, which I think is like I said, that's just cool as shit. So. I think we have a plan. And if anybody out there knows how to help us, we've had help from the crowd before, help getting us into Antarctica, helping with other things we've done. If you know a way to reach them, contact them, and I don't mean like anything bad. We we genuinely want to do something cool and make it popular and to help raise more awareness for what she's doing. We would love to have her on the show. So if somebody knows a way to help us out, we would really appreciate it. Go ahead and email us at JSP at justonpodcast.com or reach out to us on any of those social media platforms that you heard Ben talk about earlier, and we would really appreciate it. I think based on that, let's take a quick break. We'll pay some bills. On the other side, we're going to talk about no, Rasputin. Rasputin, yes. (laughs) Yes, that guy. Are you lacking financial direction or need a second opinion? If so, MyNP Advisor is a virtual financial planning practice that focuses on working with nurse practitioners, and they've developed a unique process that evaluates five key areas of your financial life. They call it the Check My Vitals procedure, and for $500, it addresses some of your biggest financial concerns, like, am I saving enough to maintain my lifestyle in retirement? Is my family protected from a catastrophe? Do my investments match my tolerance for risk? Listen, if you have more questions than answers, then you're probably due for a checkup. So click on the link in the show notes to learn more about the five benefits of checking your vitals. And if you're ready to move forward, you can even schedule your appointment directly from that link. Yeah, the link is down in the show notes. It's a great place to start. 
Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRCSPIC. Additional advisory services offered through Premier Financial Partners LLC. Neither Royal Alliance, my MP advisor, primary financial partner, just some podcast, or any other guest or affiliate. Well, Tom, before we jump into the medical mystery of Rasputin, I do want to give a huge shout out to Lauren. I know she's listening. She was in the office the other day. She was talking about the other medical mystery shows that she's listened to. She was going to listen to our God episode. And when I said something about, oh, we're going to do another medical mystery and it's going to be on Rasputin, she said, oh, you mean like the guy from Disney's Anastasia that couldn't die? And I was like, well, sort of, but you're going to learn a whole lot more about it. So shout out to Lauren. Keep doing what you're doing. You do a great job. Appreciate you. Okay. Weirdly enough, thanks to Lauren, I'm going to have to watch at least some of this Disney movie now. It is Disney or is it Pixar or something? No, Disney. Yeah. Disney's Anastasia. Okay, because I have seen Rasput. I keep saying Rasput. One of the documentaries I watched had a Russian, like author, speaking about Russian history, and he kept saying it like different than we would pronounce it. So I keep saying it how he. So Rasputin is how we would say it. So I've seen him in other movies and characterized, but I've never seen that. So now I kind of want to watch it and see how they portray it because. As you're about to find out, he's not exactly a guy I really would have expected to be in a Disney movie. Like, I understood him in Hellboy. Not so much in a Disney movie. So I'm sure there's some creative liberties taken. I've not watched the movie. Maybe I need to. But yeah, anyway. So, Tom, why don't you, uh, I mean, you, we'll start at the beginning, obviously. So he was born a peasant. He was born a peasant. His full name, well, I don't know how to say his full name, all right? So I guess this is the warning at the beginning um, that we do for all the other ones. First of all, this is yet another story in Russia, so it's got Russian names, and I'm not Russian, nor do I speak Russian, so expect some mistakes there. I apologize if you are in one of the stands or in the old Soviet Union. Please call ahead and email us and let us know how to say it correctly, but I'm not going to get that email till after the show, so... Waste your time if you want. I don't care. But it's also a twist and turn story, Ben. Like, oh, de- definitely. Even though we literally have pictures, news articles, diary and journal entries from famous people that are no doubt truthful, they are from their own perspective. So you can literally get two people with the same picture, but two different stories about how they got that picture dealing with this guy. It's incredible how... And and 1910 is old, but I mean, it's modern enough, like, you know, the buildings are still there. The the pictures we're taking, and yet we have all this mystery. And it happened, unlike our our Dietloff Pass, which happened in a remote area and all this other stuff, this happened in St. Petersburg, Russia. It's not like this is like a rural area. This is a highly populated city. And yet we're going to find out through this, this story that there are dozens of twists and turns and nobody saw the same thing. And I just don't understand how that happened. So now that we got that out of the way, Ben, January 22nd, 1869, Grigory Rasputin is born. Now I did know the name of the actual town he was born in, but I can't say it. So he was born very close to Taiman, Siberia. Yes. Siberia. The village is bordered on the Turia River, in case you know you got your map out or anything. Yes, I, I know people love to Google Earth this. So, yeah, <laughs> again, Siberia conjures up a lot of images. Okay, so first of all, it's in January. So we know there's four feet of snow on the ground. All right. Second of all, 
even by Siberian standards, <laughs> reading some of the information on this, even in Siberia, they considered this part of Siberia remote. And I'm just thinking in my head, the only place more remote than a remote spot in Siberia has got to be goddamn Mars. Like, I don't know where else on Earth when you're already in Siberia that they go, oh, you went to Taiyuman? Jeez, you're in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, damn, four million square miles is that part of Siberia. Wow. That gives you a couple ideas. <laughs> Russia's a big place, by the way, I found out. There's not a lot of really good information on Rasputin growing up. We do know a few things. He didn't really wander far from the town. He was kind of a misfit. He was known for, you know, causing trouble, but nothing unusual, even right. by Russian yeah, they, standards. Okay. Probably just a normal. Well, kid was normal to an extent. Yeah. So the extent stops when one day, and again, some stories don't mention this and some stories do. Okay. So depending on which source of information you get, you're going to hear the story or not, or it's going to be dismissed is sometime around the 10 year old age. Apparently Rasputin developed the ability to heal things. I was like, what? Allegedly. Allegedly. Let's say allegedly, but I mean, that's, that's the myth. Okay. So some people outright dismiss it and I would probably agree with them, but an entire town <laughs> started saying, Hey, my horse was sick. Rasputin's kids, you know, comes over, put his hand on my horse. Now my horse isn't sick or its legs not broken or its hoofs not lame. And so he starts getting a reputation of, hey, if you if you got a sick animal, you got a pig that's sick. You're afraid it's going to affect the rest of your herd. Call Rasputin over. He touches it. No more sick pig, which sounds great. You would think they would appreciate that. But that in turn makes people go, hey, wait a second. Why does things get better when he touches them? He must be the devil. Again, I would assume you would have thought the opposite. He's helping your livestock, not killing it. But they uh, start getting really afraid of this kid. And in some ways, uh, some of the authors say that contributes to him becoming worse. He becomes a drunkard. He gets known for minor thievery, including horse wrestling. So he heals it. Then he steals it, apparently. No, why not? I mean, you know. That kind of leads. And he, and he wasn't a great school kid either. I mean, I, I, I guess he went to school, but he, for the rest of his life, illiterate. All right. So that's his life. He, he's becoming a thief. Uh, and then one day he gets in some serious trouble. He goes on the run. He ends up at a monastery called Verkachur. Again, don't know if that's correct. Monastery, which is a Russian Orthodox church. And he falls in love with the routine, the monastic lifestyle, and the trappings of the church. He becomes a devout, like he reads, you know, their version of the Bible front and back, memorizes rituals that he can help partake in and all sorts of stuff and becomes a staple in the monastery till he decides to leave. And so he initially visited the monastery when he was 23 and everything that I seen, you know, cause he did develop a nickname later on the mad monk. Or the Mad Monk of Siberia, yeah. But they said he never actually took holy orders. Correct. So, again, and the whole Disney part is going to come up again. He decides he really likes religion. He really likes God. He feels like God's talking through him. And that's why he was given those powers as a kid. And that's why he loves the church so much. But uh, he, he really isn't into the whole celibacy thing right. or <laughs> having to live just there. 
which plays a part because once he leaves that monastery, and again, here we go, you know, your research might be a little different than mine. So he leaves the monastery and decides to go on what Crocodile Dundee would call a walkabout. And for three years, just kind of walks around Europe, Asia, Russia area. I don't know how to explain it because they say he goes as far down as Greece walking. <laughs> he walked to Greece from Siberia just uh, being religious. And they said he was very much into uh, self-punishment. That was like the type of religious sex that he was with that they believed if you were involved in any sort of sin, the only way to expunge it was punishing yourself most of the time physically. So uh, some of the stories I read, like if he found like a swampland, like he would stand there motionless and let mosquitoes bite him for hours so that he would, his skin would get irritated so that he would feel, you know, what it was like to be tortured and stuff like that. So he gets done with this walkabout. He ends up back in his little town and he meets his wife. And again, Ben, I don't know what you read, but I read anywhere between four and seven kids. I'm like, that's that's a hell of a disparity when you can count them like there's yeah. pictures of them, but you still don't know how many of them are his. <laughs> I'm just like, what? It's the late 1800s. I mean, you probably didn't keep the best record. You know, probably didn't have a census in Russia. <laughs> and, and that's a really good point. I think some of that it's Russia will come up towards the end of this and towards his death. But his wife is she's devoted to him. And even though he's like, uh, hey, Chicky, I know I just knocked you up four times, but uh, I really feel like I got to go out and do some stuff. She's like, cool. And she stays in their town for the rest of his life. Like he leaves for three to five years at a time, comes home, knocks her up again, and then just leaves. And she's like, cool. See you on the flip side. It just stays there. I just I can't understand what's going on. And And, and by all accounts that I was able to find not only does she stay, but she's happy. Like she's never mad. Like, Oh, that Gregory, when he comes home, I'm going to whoop his ass. No, she was like, he's doing God's work. He should go out. He should, you know, even when he becomes famous for basically humping anything that moves in the entirety of Russia, like every person in Russia is like, this guy will screw a squirrel. If you hold it still long enough, his <laughs> wife, stays devoted and is like but it's god's squirrel so it's cool and i'm like wow that is devotion just not anything i could imagine happening nowadays so ben that that kind of during this time period and again none of the records are 100 percent. so it's kind of wishy-washy you know like was he married first was he not married first but he is devoted or devoted. good lord man words are hard so he is at this point a religious fanatic i mean i guess you could put him as that yeah i think that's a fair assessment he becomes involved with the and again this is one of those names we're going to get a little mixed up one way or the other the clist or the clisty did you read a lot about this religious sect i did some and again we're gonna have differing information because what i have is that he was never actually a member of this religious sect well he may not have been an official member of this religious sect, but he clearly was involved in their rituals because <laughs> that's how things got spread around. So just for those that are out there, and again, I am not a 
Russian Orthodox specialist. So we're, we're going to just go off the information that we've been given. And there's a really good documentary on YouTube. It's like an hour long. It covers a lot of this stuff. So the Klisti is a, again, like we said before, a subsect of the Russian Orthodox Church, kind of like Catholic Church has like Opus Dei. There's the Klisti in Russia. They believe in self-flagellation, which for people that don't have time to Google that, they like to whip themselves. Uh, they feel like that's a way to expunge sin is through self-abuse. But these guys are a little, and that's not unusual. There's lots of religions actually around the world to this day that believe in self-flagellation. That's not unusual. What makes them unusual (laughs) is, so first of all, they do it in a group. Usually self-flagellation is a self-reflection period in most religions, not with the clist. They like to get into a large group of people. Yeah, they're not just self-flagellating, though, are they, Tom? Yeah, they unclothe themselves. They start self-flagellating. But I, and this is the interesting part. One of the things I read that went more in depth said, not only do they self-flagellate, they start spinning, right, as they're doing this, to the point that it makes them dizzy, bordering on drunk. Like, they're making themselves both endorphins from the self-abuse and the spinning motion. They actually call it spirit beer, is what the what the Clisties call it. So they become euphoric and bleeding because they're whipping themselves. And it's not like light whipping. It's not like you're a silly girl and they give each other a little smack. They're opening skin. Like it's it's legit. As they become euphoric, they tend to fall to the ground and they lay there until there's a bunch of them laying on the ground. And then Ben, uh It's a big orgy. Big orgy. There you go. And it's an orgy and it's not like find the girl that you came with type orgy. It's whatever is laying next to you have sex with it. So if you're laying next to your buddy, guess what? You're about to become real good friends. Like it's, it's that type of party guys. So he gets involved with this. And here is also one of the weird things that I learned about this. And I would love for somebody that knows more about Russia to contact me. So I could talk about this is the culture there is in constant, like almost juxtaposition with itself. Like the people revered the Russian Orthodox church and nobody was more fervent in religious services than the Clist and everybody knew it. So they're like, Oh, they're the most religious. But then at the same time, they're like, Oh, but they're also a bunch of weirdos for, for, for having orgies. So they were revered for being super religious and also at the same time, somewhat ostracized for the way that they did it. And it just, and this is not the first time in this story that I've read that. Like we love them and hate them for the reason we love them. I'm like, what? (laughs) Like how, how does a society continue to perpetuate that? But they do. And so he's well known in the Siberia area for being a Clist or at least being running with the Clist sect, being a little crazy, possibly being part devil because he can heal things. And then he runs into an old friend that he met at the monastery who happens to be friends with some of the uppity ups in the Russian capital city, which at that time was St. Petersburg. Yeah. What, what I read was his religious fervor combined with the appealing personal charisma that he had brought him to the attention of some Russian Orthodox clergymen and then senior members of the Imperial family who then introduced him to Nicholas II and his wife, Alexandra. It's only an hour long show, so we're not going to we got a really cool murder to talk about at the end. That's going to take up the majority of the episode. That's, That's true, the but there's mystery. another part of it. Well, there's another part. Well, of there, there's two medical mysteries. Yeah. What this is leading up to the first medical mystery. So 
that is all true. And, and nobody really disputes that. They dispute the details. But we know Russian Orthodox people were like, this guy is a really good religious person. And I don't know. I mean, I know that sounds like a very generic, stupid way to say it, but there's so many different descriptions of this guy. I don't know how else to put it. They're like, he's devout. He knows the Bible in and out. He seems to have a really good spirit about him. Something special about this guy. That's one thing I guess you could say everybody, whether they love him or hate him. They're like something special about this dude. So we got to get him to the Russian royal family which at that time was the head of the Russian royal family was called a czar and the wife was called a czarina. So you'll hear her say czar czarina again. Here comes that weird cultural thing is so they have a specific name called Storets. That's what a religious person. That's also kind of crazy. <laughs> I guess they, they revered that they're like, oh, you can be religious, but the religious crazies are the ones that really know how to talk to God. Those are the ones we're going to take advice from. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So (laughs) don't not the guy who went to college and studied, you know, foreign affairs for 12 years. No, 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 no. We need the crazy guy who walked to Greece and back. That's the guy you want foreign affairs, you know, exactly advice on. One thing you said I would like to also talk about. So Rasputin is obviously his own unique individual, but I read multiple, 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 multiple times. He was known for several things first of all he was roughly six four okay so he stood out because he was super tall everybody could see him from a mile away his personal hygiene okay which was basically he didn't like to take showers as a matter of fact that that first walkabout we were talking about he reported that for three years he didn't shower he didn't change his clothes because he refused to touch his body so like he wouldn't even try and wash himself if he had to pee he would just pee in his pants because he would have to have touched himself to urinate correctly so that was part of his self persecution was flagellation (laughs) well anti-flagellation because he wouldn't touch himself but i mean so we're talking there was one story i read where it said at a dinner party much later down the road he literally was talking to a lady who was an aristocracy like a very rich powerful woman in russian society and literally just started picking his nose while he's talking to her wiped out on his shirt and kept talking to her like nothing had happened I'm like, wow, that guy has got some balls right there. Well, literally, probably. So he's known for poor hygiene, his eyes. And honestly, Ben, not to sound weird, but even in his pictures now, like his eyes do look. I am like, man, I can only imagine in real life that this guy, when he stared at you, you were like, oh, gave me the heebie jeebies, you know? Yeah. So so. he's tall. You can smell him from a mile away. He's got eyes. that feel like they're looking through you. And yet the fourth thing that he's known for is something we've already alluded to. They have it on good authority. And I read this multiple times again. They are saying he slept with at least at least a thousand women in his time after he got married. A thousand bend. That's four digits. That's that uh, is a lot of humping. All right. This guy, he's known for four things. And one of them is banging chicks. While he's married, I'm just like, this guy, I wish I could have shook his hand. Like, I'm like, dude, tell me what's going on here, because wow. So we got this guy. He's religious, yet he's a lunatic. He's known as the mad monk of Russia or Siberia, and he gets introduced to the royal family. Yeah, isn't that odd? I mean, honestly, if you think about that. And and we know, we even know when. I don't actually have the exact date. I know the year was 1905, because the czar wrote it in his diary. Yeah. 
he wrote, I met Grigori from Siberia tonight, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wow. Like he made that much of an impression. The czar. And honestly, you know, Russia's got its ups and downs, but back in the early 1900s, they were a powerhouse. Not only were they a powerhouse, the czar family, they ruled with an iron fist over that entire land. So we are talking extremely powerful people. And they took the time to document that they met this guy. I'm like, geez, right off the bat, that's that's a start. Well, and the first part of our medical aspect of this, Rasputin cemented his relationship with the czar and the Tsarina when he supposedly helped alleviate their only son, Alexia's hemophilia. So he had healing powers, as you alluded to earlier, and he healed their son. So, and, and I've read more into this because I thought it was interesting. Well, yeah. What do you know? We're doing a whole show on it. I know, right? The Tsar's sister wrote that she observed Rasputin healing Alexia by kneeling at his bed and praying. The calming atmosphere that he created in the palace may have assisted with the recovery. And someone else in another book, Rasputin, Faith, Power, and the Twilight of the Romanovs, uh, Douglas Smith observes Rasputin's assurance calmed the anxious, fretful mother and filled her with unshakable confidence, and she, in turn, transferred that confidence to her ailing son, literally wheeling him back to health. But here's what I found interesting about the whole thing, and kind of where I think he may got lucky, or whatever the case may be. Hemophilia, as our listeners should know, is a bleeding disorder. One of the big things that they used as kind of a cure-all remedy back in this time... I know where you're going. ...was aspirin. Oh, that's not where I was going. Oh, yeah. So what people are saying, what part of the debate was, was that his insistence of keep the doctors away from him, keep the doctors away from him. Medical knowledge was still sparse, even though drugs like aspirin were available for treatment. Aspirin is obviously what, what could potentially thin the blood, which would have exacerbated his hemophilia. A French historian argued that when Rasputin insisted the remedies prescribed by the doctors be thrown in the fire, the discarded medicine likely would have included aspirin. And his insistence that doctors leave him alone would have improved his condition and appeared to create a miraculous improvement in his symptoms. So that makes a lot of sense. I did not read the aspirin aspect so much. One of the interesting things. So first of all, and I think you said earlier something like it appears he had hemophilia. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure he had hemophilia. (laughs) Like, well, and again, this goes back to that power base in Russia and Europe. A lot of those families were inbred. And and I'm not trying to be rude. Like that's, that's a historical fact. And through that multiple levels of inbreeding between the Royal families, lots of children had hemophilia. So that's not the in dispute part. We know the kid was sick. It's how Rasputin was able to fix him. And I, and I didn't read that. One of the things though, I felt terrible for Alexi. That's the kid's name is so he's suffering from hemophilia, but his, people help raise him in addition to his family. And they're like, but he still needs to appear strong. He had fallen off a horse. So he's a hemophiliac. First of all, riding a horse, right? That can't be, that can't be. Yeah. Yeah. Not smart. Starting with, then he falls off of it. So he was in so much pain and so close to death's door that they actually brought in like the Royal priest or whatever, and had given him last rites when, the sister talked to the czar and the czarina and said, why don't you give Rasputin a shot? Like, what do you have to lose? Because yeah. this is three years after they met him. He's been around for three years. He's hung out. He's gotten to know them. And they're like, hey, give him a shot. 
also one of the things I felt terrible for the kid is so not only was he put in this position because they were stupidly letting him do stuff like hunt and go horseback riding. But one of the other things that they had available for pain was morphine, but the parents and the doctors were so afraid of him looking weak and becoming a morphine addict because he would need it all the time that they wouldn't give it to him. So this kid is in excruciating pain on death's doorstep and they won't give him anything. And literally the only thing between him and him and death at this point is Rasputin. And he comes through, he does the hail Mary obviously. And it makes a lot of sense with what you said. He takes away the one inset that's thinning his blood worse and he gets better. Now, whether it's a miracle, whether it's timing, whether it's luck or whether it's aspirin, either way, Rasputin does the deed. Yeah. Okay. He saves Alexi's life. So let's talk about this for one quick second. And then we can move forwards. The family up until this point had had what they called the crows, which were two sisters that claimed to be spiritual, a French spiritualist that had come in and said stuff. And, oh, this is what your family is going to do. So the wife and to a lesser extent, the husband, the czar and the czarina are really into this. Like they believe that there are people that can connect to God. I will give them credit on this, though. They gave these people a shot. And then when they didn't come through, they said, get the fuck out. Like, you know, they exiled the one guy back to France. They imprisoned the two, the two crows. And I don't remember the sisters names. They just called them the crows. So that's what they, but they would give them a fair shake. And they're like, oh, so you could talk to God. Okay, we'll start talking. And then when the things didn't come through, get out, get out of Russia. You're done. You know, so Rasputin knows that, hey, this doesn't happen. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going back to Siberia, maybe in a wood box like this ain't, you know, don't don't screw around. So he he pulls through, though, like you said, he he saves Alexi's life. And then if there what that cements. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's that cements him because you got to think about it. It's a grieving father and mother who's watching their kid die. And this guy ostensibly saves his life, whether he does it by luck or by whatever miracle whatever whatever, yeah Yeah, exactly he saves this kid's life and i understand as a parent like if you save my kid's life i would yeah i'm in your debt and then to make it if if you couldn't somehow make it more sound you know cement the relationship more old rasputin like i said every couple years goes back sees his wife knocks us up knocks her up again while he's back on one of his little summer jaunts to uh, siberia kid falls ill again Mom telegraphs Rasputin's town because that's how remote they are. They don't even have like a way to talk to him. They have to just send a message to town. And it was really cool because they actually have the letter or the diary entry from the mom. And it basically Rasputin said back, God has seen your tears. Don't worry about it. Your kid will be better by tomorrow. And the next day, the kid wakes up and says, Mom, I don't know why you're crying. I feel great. You know, I don't know exactly what he said, but that's what, and holy cow. So that's twice. He is, he hit the grand slam. He did the Beirut, called his shot twice, once from Siberia. (laughs) Okay. So even if you thought he had a trick up his sleeve, you can't say it now because he wasn't even the same. He wasn't, he was 4,000 miles away and he healed their kid ostensibly. So yeah. So this guy is now ingrained. Yeah. In the Russian royal family. And that plays a huge part because that's going to come up because um, there's a lot of people that didn't like that, Ben. They did not like the a guy named the Mad Monk <laughs> having the ear of the Tsarina of Russia. Yeah, they went to him for advice on a lot of stuff. And 
that ended up not going well. It ended up not going well. And I found it really interesting because there is a precedence in Russian history. Women are treated with a lot of respect. Like in World War One and World War Two, there were whole army units of Russian women, Russian women snipers, Russian women pilots. Like in America, there were women that weren't allowed to drive. In Russia, there was an entire air wing called the Night Witches. <laughs> you know, so that's why I'm like, so when the Czar, this is World War One, okay, which is a bloody conflict. Czar's off tending to troops on on the the old Eastern Front there. And Tsarina is running the country. And that's when people started getting a little ticked because they know she's talking to Rasputin about how to run this country. And that's when the tables turn. Yeah. You know, he didn't have the greatest ability to run a country. I mean, you got to think about it. He was a monk. <laughs> and I mean, he was, Who's he was illiterate. A and a monk. Yeah. So. And a drunk. <laughs> yeah. Like we can start naming things. <laughs> like there's a lot of reasons he shouldn't be running a country. Which, like you said, leads to a lot of people not liking him, which then leads to you know people plotting on him, basically. People plotting on him, and powerful people. We're not talking like a mob. These are rich, powerful people that want to take him out. He had actually had survived one attempt I'd read. Like yes. two years prior to his death, he was stabbed and then ended up recovering from that. Correct. So somewhere in between saving those kids' lives and becoming famous and Russian newspapers writing articles about this guy, he becomes well-known. All right. Like, again, that's what I'm saying is you can't go anywhere in Russia without knowing who Rasputin is. That's saying something. This is pre-television. This is pre-Instagram you know, Instagram and Facebook. Yet every person right. in Russia knew who he was. You know, I'm like, wow, that's that's impressive. A woman decided, and we know her name. I can't pronounce it, nor do I know exactly what it is, but they locked her up. They arrested her. She decided that first she thought Rasputin was Christ on Earth. And then when basically... And again, different stories, but the one that seems to make yeah. most sense to me was he had sex with her. And then when she was like, I love you, he's like, nah, bitch, that's not how this works. <laughs> she decides he's now the devil. She christens a knife, comes up to him and stabs him multiple times in his belly. He gets away from her and police are able to find her. But these aren't little wounds, Ben. These are his entrails are hanging yeah. out of his stomach. Somehow, in roughly, you know, 1910 freaking Russia, they find a surgeon who is able to put him back together. He spends roughly 10 weeks in a hospital. He's never quite the same, though. He, he they say he's got lots of pain. Um, he's got digestive problems now because he's missing parts of his intestines. And let's face it, um, they still thought leeches. Well, we, we think leeches are okay now, but I mean, that was like a mainstay, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Type right. area. So yeah, his intestines probably weren't all the way back together the way they were supposed to be, but he's still alive. So that's another, like, so that just builds the myth even more so he can heal other people. Oh, and you can't kill him. So now he's really well known. Yeah. Which kind of leads us towards the end, Ben. We're getting down that final part where. Rasputin's about to become what he's most famous for. Yeah, I think this is where if the legend wasn't born with everything else that had gone on, which I mean, honestly, I think you could safely say it was already born in Russia. I think what we're about to talk about is why he is 
famous outside of Russia. And why they made a Disney movie with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why there's, why there's a Pixar or a Disney movie about this guy. So there was a plot to murder Rasputin. And I'm going to butcher this, I'm sure. Uh, Yusupov, Felix Yusupov. That sounds, that sounds pretty close. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll go with that. He was one of the ringleaders and his account is the one that I think was probably sensationalized the most, but because to me, and you and I kind of argued about this before we got on the air, you know, he was writing a memoir. So when there's only a few people who are aware of what happened and you're trying to sell a book, you know, why wouldn't you, you know, kind of inflate the story a little bit just to make it sound good. I agree with that point, but there's there's a few things we do know, regardless if you're taking it from Yusupov's point of view, Rasputin's point of view, wherever. There are a couple of things. So first of all, let's talk about who he is just real brief. Yusupov is a relative of the Tsarina. He's also quite possibly outside or, according to some people, even with inside the royal family, the richest person in Russia. He has his own palace that's not government funded. So that should tell you the level of power and prestige we're talking about. Okay. Like he's got money, Elon yes. Musk money. <laughs> okay. Like he, he's got fuck you money. All right. <laughs> he's got possibly many, many people said the most beautiful wife in all of St. Petersburg. Here's the weird part. And this is where things can get sort of twisted up because he was also well known to be bisexual and had male lovers as well as his wife. And that's where not only was he not happy about Rasputin having the Tsarina's ear, but there was lots of reports that basically he had hooked up with Rasputin himself several times. And when Rasputin was like, yeah, I, I do whatever I want. I'm not going to be, you know, your lover. I'm going to be the world's lover. That kind of left a bad taste in this guy's mouth. So now he's a rich, powerful guy who didn't like you. And now you're not doing what he said. This is a recipe for destruction. I don't care if you're in 1910 Russia, <laughs> like things badly could start going, you know, from this point forward. The other two assailants, I guess would be the best way to word it. Grand Duke Dmitry Pavlovich and conspirators. Deputy, I think conspirators. Uh, no, conspirators. Okay. And then deputy of the Duma, Vladimir Perskovich. Perskovich. There you go. And just for people that don't know, the Duma is their version of Congress, which is much, much weaker it's both mostly like a figurehead, but it, it is a symbolic. So they do have power. They just, you know, don't have what the czars have. Yuspov is like, hey, Rasputin, why don't you come on over? Hang out. Yeah. We'll do some fun <laughs> stuff in the cellar. Well, and, and again, yeah, uh, again, so that's where it comes in is multiple sources I read was he was saying, hey, we're having this really nice house party. There's going to be lots of wine and, and all this stuff to eat. And me and my wife are going to be there. Wink, wink, nod, nod. So why don't you come over when the party's dying down and we can have some fun together, me, you, and my wife. And so Rasputin's like, hey, I'm up for a good time. It shows up. Okay. Now, see, now what I had read, again, because this is where things, you know, get murky. Yeah. To justify eating in the cellar, which had been soundproof for the occasion because they were planning on killing him, his hidden co-conspirators played records in a closed off room on the main floor 
to convince Rasputin that Yusupov's wife was hosting a small party, and that's why they needed to go downstairs. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm saying is I, I think that part must be real. Whether the details are a little murky is they put it under the guise of something's going on. There's going to be food and wine available. We're all going to have sex afterwards. So just come over. Let's have a great time. And again, we if there's one thing we know about Rasputin, sex and wine, that dude's going to be there. OK, so he shows up. <laughs> so, yeah, so he shows up. They're down there hanging out. Yusupov's take on this was that he offered him pastries and Rasputin began gorging himself on these cakes uh, that had been laced with cyanide that they had from a doctor. Yeah. Who was one of the co-conspirators. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I'm just like, why would a doctor just be walking around with cyanide? And, and he prepared each dose of cyanide very carefully to ensure that everyone strong enough to kill, not just one, but several men, according to legend and, and Yusupov's testimony or I guess to his book. So each pastry and the bottle of wine are all laced heavily with the cyanide, but and Rasputin's daughter, you know, read some of her take of this. Yeah. She said, you know, that really wasn't his thing because of the intestinal wound. Oh, he drank a lot because of pain, but he didn't really eat a lot of sweets anymore. It upset his stomach. So at first Rasputin's like, yeah, I'm cool guys. Let's just get to the sex part. And Yusupov <laughs> is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not how the plan's going. So they actually go upstairs and they're freaking out. And when they come back downstairs, they find Rasputin has gotten bored waiting to have sex and started eating and drinking all the wine, except for he didn't die, Ben. No. <laughs> yeah, he ate enough uh, cyanide to kill five people. And yet uh, he's sitting there. It's like that scene in Major Pain where he eats the laxative right? cupcake yeah. and then just farts instead of passing out. And all the kids, you know, like, oh, God, what do I do? That's the modern day Rasputin right there. So Rasputin apparently started having some difficulty swallowing his wine. Uh, Yusupov acted very concerned, asking if he was OK. Was he feeling, you know, and he says, yes, uh, my head is heavy and I have a burning sensation in my stomach. And then he said, do you know what the cure would be? More wine. What Yusupov's like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. 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 Chug it all. Except he kept chugging it and he kept not dying. And if there's one thing we should all note about cyanide at this point is it kills people. So <laughs> the doctor, the co-conspirators of Yusupov are getting a little worried because this guy has mowed down all the food. He's drank almost all the wine. He ain't dead. Right. So. Yusupov Which is weird. Goes upstairs. That's, that's, that's weird, no, it man. Is weird. No, I'm, I'm, it's weird. Yusupov went upstairs, talked to his co-conspirators, tried to figure out a plan because, you know, dude's not dying. They talked about maybe going down in a groove and they were going to overpower him and they were going to strangle him. And Yusupov's like, no, I need to do this myself. And then went down with the revolver. Honestly, so that part seems to be pretty similar in all the accounts. Uh, the one thing I read a couple times, and I, I honestly, I could see this, is that Yusupov, when he's upstairs, and the reason he went down and did it and finally just said, give me a gun, I got to go do this, is because he was actually starting to get nervous. He's like, maybe the legends are true. You know, like, right, yeah, I just like watched this guy drink a bottle of laced wine and eat a dozen pastries that are all laced. Like, each one should have killed a couple dudes. He ate all of them. So yeah. now he's starting to get worried, like, uh-oh. What if this guy really is, you know, a man of God? I'm in a shitload of trouble. I got to fix this or I got to I got to I got to man up. I got to do something. And so. So you spot come back down. Uh, Rasputin slumping over in his chair. He's, he's not breathing real well. But then all of a sudden Rasputin, he, you know, he starts recovering. He becomes more energe energetic. He's, you know, let's ready to get the freak on. <laughs> wow. 
Well, I mean, you know. I, I, I just, I wish, if I could go back in time, I'd shake this dude's hand. I swear to God. So. <laughs> Rasputin stood up, started admiring some of the furnishings, used a pile of stare at a, at a again, this is his account, crystal crucifix on the wall, and uh, Yusupov told Rasputin, you'd far better look at the crucifix and say a prayer. Again, his account. He came quite close to me and looked me full in the face. It was as though he had at last read something in my eyes, something that he had not expected to find. I realized that the hour had come. Oh, Lord, I prayed, give me strength to finish it. Yusupov pulled the revolver, firing a shot, hit Rasputin in the chest, cried out, collapsed on the floor, and didn't move. And I've read a couple times that he got shot multiple times that first time. But, I mean, either way, we know he was shot. Like, there's no doubt. Bullet hole, revolver, right. dead Rasputin. So, you know, maybe his co-conspirators upstairs, they hear the gunshot, and they're like, oh, we need to get down there. Again, according to his account, the doctor checked for Rasputin's pulse, found none, confirming that he was dead. He was shot close enough to his heart to be immediately fatal, or so they thought. Yeah, this is also one of the parts that doesn't really seem to dispute is they just killed a dude. This should tell you the level of power that they have. These guys literally murdered someone in their house and they just went back upstairs and kept on partying. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, like, yeah. Dead guy downstairs. Most well-known guy in Russia. Fuck him. And just went upstairs and started drinking. How awkward would it be, though, to be when the co-conspirators and Yusupov is trying to hand you a glass of wine and you're like, yeah right mm -mm, ah, nah. i'm good bro. Yeah. yeah i'm good i brought my own i'm just gonna drink out of this water bottle i brought on my own you know i like dasani yeah, whatever but the point is this is like so they're hanging out that's what yusupov is like you know right i feel kind of weird because i have been shacking up with this dude or maybe not depending on which one you read and he's dead in my basement so hmm he goes back downstairs and finds out Rasputin is not dead. Yeah. So what I'd read is he basically wanted, you know, he was motionless kind of where, where they left him, but he shook the body because he wanted to make sure he was dead. Yeah. Which is weird though. They've been upstairs partying. Like why yeah, did he go back down? I mean, well, I guess he was drunk probably. He was like, fuck it. I want to go see the dead body. I don't well, know that. Or if you, but I mean, if you put yourself in his mindset at that point, they'd already poisoned him and he didn't die. Yeah, I never thought about that. So yeah, like, well, yeah, maybe. What if what if the yeah, bitch didn't kill him the first time? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he shakes the body. Well, then Rasputin's eyelids start to twitch, and Yusupov wrote that he opened them, and I saw both eyes—the green eyes of a viper—staring at me with an expression of diabolical hatred. I don't blame Rasputin <laughs> on this one. So Rasputin lunged at Yusupov digging his fingers into his neck. And then he ran upstairs yelling, Hey, you know, <laughs> come on. That down guy here. is not dead. Still, yeah. Not dead. They saw Rasputin clawing his way up the stairs on his hands and knees and was headed out a door out, out into the courtyard. Yusupov wrote that this devil who was dying of poison, who had a bullet in his heart must've been raised from the dead by the powers of evil. There was something appalling and monstrous in his diabolical refusal to die. Uh, Rasputin shoved the door open, ran out into the courtyard. Of course, at this point, the conspirators are like, oh, shit, we don't want him to. <laughs> we kind of need to kill the guy we killed. Yeah. <laughs> so they fire two shots at him. One in his head. Well, the first time they missed, they chased him down. 
Uh, and then they fire two more shots, one into his head. I also like the fact that you just said they had to chase him down. So he's been poisoned, shot, strangled. They were chasing him around, and he was still outrunning them for a short period of time. So Jesus, crime and Netley, this guy is a tank. So then, again, use Bob's account. He had a couple of servants wrap up his body, tied him up with chains, and then they took him to the bridge over the Neva River, pitched him over the side, and uh, one account has him dying of hypothermia in the freezing water. Well, let, hold on. So back up. I've read multiple accounts where they said that there was proof, and there were multiple. We'll talk about the autopsy here here in a minute, but there's no doubt there was bruising and contusions all over his body. So there's also, not only did they shoot him, but to make sure he's dead, they got some steel or iron pipes or whatever they had available and beat the fuck out of Rasputin. So he's been poisoned. He's been shot multiple times, including his head. And apparently he's still moving around enough with a damn bullet hole in his head that they decide they need to beat him with metal objects until he's not moving. But then again, we go back to a snap of reality where no one's disputing. They do wrap him in a carpet. They do chain up his body. If you've ever seen Casino or Goodfellas, you know what we're talking about. So they put him in a car. They get him to a bridge on the outskirts of St. Petersburg. They find a hole that was screwed through the ice for ice fishing, dump his body into it. But it's not done. <laughs> but it's still not done. The police do recover like a brown boot on the frozen part of the water. And there was blood tracings on the bridge. So by all accounts, yes. I mean, obviously, and they found his body in the water. So clearly that but, you can't dispute that they dumped him in the water. You can't dispute that. But again, as Ben mentioned earlier, there's still some dispute as to what happened next. Because first of all, his body was found... I don't remember if it was 650 feet or 650 yards down the river. Okay. So that's what the conspirators were hoping for, except for when they got to his body. And again, there are pictures of his dead body after they found it on the internet. So you can yeah. literally see this for yourself. If you want, his arms are not down by his side. They are above his head where it appears Rasputin had lived long enough. So not only has he been poisoned, beat, shot including in his head and tied up into a carpet he has enough strength while underwater in frozen water to wiggle his arms free to try and drag himself out of a freaking river see now i see it differently but i mean that's me oh no no tell me what you see because that's literally what the so his I'm, arms no, are I'm, above his I'm, head i'm looking at the picture right now as we're yeah. as we're talking i think if you if if it's a dead body the arms are probably going to go away from wherever your body is flowing. You know what I'm saying? So if you're going down river, your arms are going to, are, are going to go up. Okay. But my point is, is he should have been dead when they wrapped him in a carpet and then chained it together. His arms should have been down by his side. Where Unless they, they didn't put them there. Well, who would wrap him in a carpet with his arms down by his side without his arms being down by his side? I, I never said that they were down by a side. I said they wrapped him up in a carpet and chains. Okay, but Yuspov and the conspirators said that because when the police found his body and the arms were up, they were like, well, then he must have got one of them loose because his arms weren't like that when they threw him in the river. Like, they even said that. I have not seen that account. So Okay, okay well, okay, but in all fairness to both of us, this is part of why it's a medical mystery because – 
you're reading a book or reading from a book of one of the guys that was there. And I'm read some of the reports from the people that were there and they're both saying two different things. So either way though, here's what we do know. All that shit happened. Now the exact detail or order of operation or whatever you want to call it may not be the exact same, but he was poisoned. He was shot. He was beat. He was drowned and he may or may not have died (laughs) immediately because he may not have been dead when they put him in the water. Because we've seen both reports of water. And, uh, I've seen uh, an official account where they said he died from drowning. And then you saw one where they disputed that and said there was no water in the lungs. Right. He must have been dead from something else. I've also seen a third report. This one's probably not as credible. It just because of mere facts. Like I would assume if you're tied up in a rug and you're in water, drowning is the most likely you know, method of death at this point. But I did see a third theory where they said there was no water in the lungs and that the coroner said that he had died from hypothermia. And then I'd seen another report of an autopsy report that said there was no poison found in his system, uh, which is one part we need to talk about. No drowning. And they concluded that uh, he was shot in the head at close range and that's what killed him. So again, it's a weird thing, but go ahead back. Let's go back to the no poisoning. So the no poisoning is an interesting thing because there is, again, there's not really a doubt that cyanide was used. What the doubt becomes, well, I I haven't read anything where they doubt cyanide was used. What they doubt was is that they think that the morons probably didn't pour very much into the wine. They used it all up on the food, but they poured it on the food or mixed it into the food pre-cooking and that the heat of the cooking and raising the pastries actually basically evaporated off the cyanide. Probably enough was left to like make your lips numb or make you sick, but it wasn't going to be fatal. And as we said before, Grigory Rasputin, first of all, is a known alcoholic. So drinking some wine isn't going to bother him. And he's also six, four. He ain't a small dude. So if you evaporate off the majority of the cyanide, it may not be enough to really affect him a ton. And that's just some of the stuff I read. I mean, I don't have a great grasp on how much cyanide I need to use to kill someone, but I'm just saying like, that's even if any cyanide I think would be detectable in an autopsy. Granted, there's four fucking autopsy reports. (laughs) So I I don't know which one you believe, but no, I agree. I agree that uh, that's why I have doubts when I say he's poisoned, what I'm saying is, is that's the legend is he's been poisoned. He's been shot. He's been beat. He may not have even died then Uh, for a fact. We know cyanide was used, but he may not even just it. According to his daughter, he may not even eaten any of it because he had those stomach wounds. He may not have ever even ingested the pastries. So whether they used it or not almost becomes immaterial. Well, and the other thing that I had seen, was there was discussion that perhaps the doctor had second thoughts and uh, was it. afraid to use it. And so he didn't and just told Yusupov that he did. Well, that sucks to suck because we're going to talk about what happens to him real quick when we get done. But yeah, probably should have just done it. <laughs> so. Well, one of the things I found interesting as we're you know start getting ready to wrap up anyway, before he was shot in the cellar, Rasputin told Yusupov that he would ultimately prevail against his enemies who were plotting to kill him. Yeah, this is an interesting fact. I like where, yeah. The quote, according to Yusupov, the aristocrats can't get used to the idea that a humble peasant should be welcome at the imperial palace. 
They are consumed with envy and fury, but I am not afraid of them. Disaster will come to anyone who lifts a finger against me. Now think about that for just a second, Tom. If you're plotting on me and I look you in the eyes and say, disaster will come to anyone who lifts a finger against me. That's got to send like a chill down your spine. You know what I mean? It does. And as a matter of fact, again, a lot of this stuff can be conjecture or, right. but, but again, there are some things we also know. And we also have a letter that Rasputin wrote. So first of all, Rasputin died December 30th, 1916. Some say December 29th, but December 30th. Okay. So we're talking December 29th or December 30th. He told the Tsarina in a letter, I know I'm going to die before January 1. So that's a fact. He did. Okay. And again, we have it on paper. Like it's, it's documented. There's pictures of the letter. He wrote that. So boom, that's fact number one. Fact number two, though, he also made, made sure to mention to the Tsarina, who's related to Yusupov and these other guys. If anybody in your family does something to me, none of you will live past two years. So let's just be real clear. You may not want to let anybody in your family, you might want to warn them against this. And to back that up, guess what happens just under 12 months after Rasputin dies? What's that, Tom? Oh, the entire Tsar's family is dragged into a basement during the Russian Revolution and murdered. Yeah. Yeah. So mm, that Rasputin stuff is starting to look pretty on point. <laughs> you know, if, if you're if you're going to talk about it, I mean, I mean, you it's could say a lot about the guy, but yeah. that is just. Whew, that's a that's a lot. Do we even want to talk about the British aspect for a second or? Uh, I mean, you, you can touch on it briefly. Sure. So real brief. And this just goes to show you how deep the rabbit hole can go is there was a gentleman named Oswald Raynard. Oswald Raynard happened to be British. But so for some reason, he was there December 29th in St. Beers, Russia with the co-conspirators. But he is not mentioned or really talked about before this. And a lot of people suggest that he was sent there by the British intelligence services to help kill Rasputin. Now, there's a lot of reasons that you can that you could talk about this. One of the only things that's really made any sense was obviously World War One is going on. Britain is relying on Germany being tied up on the eastern front. If Russia pulls out of the war and Rasputin was majorly anti-war. And remember, he's got the uh, the ear of the Tsarina. Yeah. And if he gets enough of the ear of the arena, he might get the ear of the czar. And if Russia pulls out, Germany no longer has to worry about an Eastern front. They can start focusing all their attention on, on the Western front. You'd have to talk to a World War One historian, but th that could cause a lot of problems for Britain and France. Okay. They really don't want Germany, who's got possibly the greatest army at that period of time, to be able to focus on them. They don't want that. So what do you do? You take out the problem. And so there's a lot of people that suggest that the British intelligence services had this Rainer guy over there to help or, in fact, assassinate Rasputin himself. There's a lot of people who say that's not true, but a detective who in his off time, which why would you want to do your job in the off time, likes to investigate cold crimes and was able to find an actual memo through the British version of the Freedom of Information Act in the intelligence services that mentions both the name Dark Forces, which was what their code name for Rasputin was, because they were watching him, too, and Rayner's name 
and mentions the fact that he is there. He has taken care of the problem with dark forces and is cleaning up loose ends before he'll come home. Now, that's the only memo. There is not a treasure trove of documents that link them. But you have to admit that is a eerily suspicious motive to have a British intelligence memo that says his name, says Rasputin's name. And there is no disputing he was there the night Rasputin died. That is a pretty big coincidence. Like like I told you pre-production, if I said, hey, I think Ben's going to steal all my Laffy Taffy, and I walk into her room and you're covered in Laffy Taffy wrappers, I have a pretty good standing to think you fucking stole my Laffy Taffy. You know what I'm saying? Like, Or at least I plotted to help steal your Yeah, Laffy or at Taffy. the very least, you were involved. You may not have eaten it, but you were there. You know, so, you know, this Rasputin thing is again just like the diet love pass just like everything it just it's a rabbit hole you yeah. toxic lady you know there are things that we document like there are charts and yet you still can't find a solid answer it's like tacking jello to a wall like you can't keep it there it just it's incredible a story like this and all the things that led up to it yeah i mean it's it's one of those well, it's almost like Weird. it's a medical yeah. mystery. I know. So anything you want to say before we start wrapping up? And there's one other piece we want to talk about. Huh. Um, as, as far as uh, the medical mystery, no. I really, if you've heard us say anything tonight that you're interested about, look into it. I guarantee you, you're going to spend an hour wasting time on TikTok anyways. Look this up. Actually, look at a picture of him. We're talking about him in the third person, but he was a real person. Like you could see pictures of him. Yeah. And I think that just makes it that much more interesting to connect the face with the incident. Well, the last thing I want to touch on briefly. Touch. Yeah. Rasputin's penis, Dom. Oh, yeah. So again, we're going to call this medical mystery aspect to it. It's definitely a mystery. Well, I mean, there's some medical aspect. You know, they, uh, they people were said after. Uh, first off, they alleged that uh, his uh, member was separated from his body. Some people used it as uh, like fertility, is what one of the things that I read. Uh, legend says that in the 1920s, Rasputin's daughter Maria discovered a group of women in Paris who had been venerating her father's penis. They believed it could bestow fertility, and they even handed out small pieces of it to those in need. And then there's the business of Rasputin's members supposedly cut off by Yusupov and then gathered up and saved by one of his servants. And sometimes later, according to this bizarre tale, the severed penis ended up in Paris, where a few of the surviving votaries kept it preserved in an icebox, taking it out only for strange sacred rituals. From there, after further adventures, it made its way to a collection of Russia's first museum of erotica in Petersburg, which is a hideous hunk of graying flesh suspended in a jar of formaldehyde. The, this uh, museum said they purchased it in a wooden casket from two French antique dealers in 2000 for $8,000. Um, as is noted by, in the book that I alluded to earlier, Douglas Smith, according to 1917 accounts by Dmitry Korsatov, who performed the autopsy on Rasputin's uh, after his badly mutilated body was dug out of the river, his genitals were entirely intact and undamaged, but there is a penis floating in a jar in a uh, Russian museum that they claim is Rasputin's penis. Of course, most biologists say no. <laughs> that is not 
a human penis in any shape or form. But it, it is 12 inches pickled, which is pretty damn impressive because pickling is going to cause shrinking. Yeah. If you've seen Seinfeld, you know about shrinkage. <laughs> so, Sam, that it's not his penis. It's not his real penis. Yes. And again, back to the whole medical mystery. So this museum says they have it. At least it's an actual penis. Like it's not a human one, but one. And there's again, pictures of it online. Is, if you- yeah, there is pictures <laughs> of it online. And again, this just goes back to just how weird this whole situation is. So a British aristocrat, a very, very rich woman in Britain bought what she believed to be Rasputin's penis yeah. only to have a DNA tested to find out it is a sea cucumber. <sighs> Look, I mean, I am not an ancient Russian monk penis historian, but I don't know how <laughs> you confused a sea cucumber with a human penis. Like, and I get it. It's old. It's probably been in and out of formaldehyde or, you know, whatever. Cause I'm sure this grift has been going on for a while, but I mean, had she seen one before, right? And I guess this goes into a whole, I mean, we could spend another hour on yeah. like, why, you, why, yeah, like, like these people no, who no. buy, like, oh, I bought a potato chip that's you know shaped like Jerry Seinfeld, yeah, why, like, I have I, a piece of toast with the Virgin Mary on it, yeah, like, what, why, why would you want Rasputin's penis? Why, anyway. I don't know, but she is rich and powerful, and she decided she can use her rich and powerful money to buy a desiccated penis, and I can't figure out why, but if it's connected to Rasputin, they want it. So we're going to turn it over to our audience. What do you think happened to Rasputin? Do you think that he was uh, poisoned? Do you think that he was shot? Which part do you think killed him? Email us, jsp at justinpodcast.com or shoot us a message on one of our social media sites as we talked about earlier. If you have any suggestions for upcoming medical mysteries, we would love to hear it. Absolutely. I need to go watch Anastasia, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I'm going to be watching some Anastasia here in a few minutes. I actually looked up a little bit of it while we were talking earlier. Let's see if I can find it again here. Do not play that on the air. I'm Disney not. will be all over us. <laughs> I did go to Wikipedia for this because it was quick and easy. We'd lose tens of followers. Tens of them. We, and we don't want that. It says in, So the plot is basically in 1916 Russia... There's a musical box it's and a necklace inscribed with the words together in Paris. As parting gift to the Grand Duchess Anastasia, the ball is suddenly interrupted by Grigory Rasputin, a sorcerer and former royal advisor until he was exiled for treason. He's seeking revenge. He sells his soul in exchange for an unholy uh, reliquary, which he uses to curse the Romanovs. Yeah, except for none of that happened. Well, again, I told you that it was like, you know. Duh, Disney. Everybody knows that's not what happened. And... What I found interesting, too, Christopher Lloyd is the voice of Gregory Rasputin in Anastasia. Great Scots. I'm going to have to watch some uh, Rasputin or Anastasia here shortly. Yeah. Thank Uh, you. 1.21 gigawatt. Well, we're not going 88 miles an hour, but we are going to be in your earbuds listening to uh, some Justin podcast again, season four. We appreciate the hell out of you guys sticking around with us for the first three seasons. We hope to continue to not only educate, but entertain you along the way. Shit, man. I'm going to watch Anastasia, I think. So, yeah, me too. on that note, wash your hands, wear your mask, get your shot, have a great week. Hey, everybody, stay safe out there. Practice swearing just to pass the time. Lately, I see why I am alone. I caught 
some road bridge and I thought of you And all the many times you say I should have known Took a press so I could find my cheek Find mediocrity's the best that I could do Let's a shower Without you